It's Monday, February the 14th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Ukraine seeks meeting with Russia and Hungary's Prime Minister denounces the EU. First, the world in brief. Ukraine demanded a meeting with Russia so that the Kremlin could explain why it has amassed tens of thousands of troops along the country's shared border. Britain's Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, said that Russia was, quote, highly likely to invade Ukraine, despite continuing diplomatic efforts. Following talks with Vladimir Putin and the presidents of America and France, Olaf Scholz will be next to try to talk Russia's leader down. Germany's Chancellor visits Ukraine on Monday and Russia on Tuesday. Meanwhile, contingency plans are being made. Ukraine's neighbours are making preparations for an influx of refugees and some airlines have cancelled or diverted flights. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky urged calm, saying he had seen no intelligence showing an attack is imminent. Viktor Orban, Hungary's Prime Minister, accused the EU of waging, quote, a jihad on the country under the pretense of preserving the rule of law and hinted that Hungary might leave the bloc. On Wednesday, the European Court of Justice will rule on a joint Hungarian and Polish challenge to a mechanism that links EU funding to respect for legal norms. Lockheed Martin, the world's biggest arms manufacturer by sales, pulled the plug on a $4.4 billion deal to buy Aerojet Rocketdyne. America's Federal Trade Commission had been trying to block the purchase on antitrust grounds. Aerojet is America's only big, independent maker of rocket engines. Carrie Lam, Hong Kong's chief executive, said a wave of COVID-19 infections has, quote, overwhelmed the territory. Over 1,500 new cases are expected to be logged on Monday. Despite stringent social distancing measures, the government says it is not yet considering a mainland-style full lockdown, though it is still clinging to a zero-COVID policy. Confounding matters, few elderly have bothered getting vaccinated. After failing on Saturday to clear protesters blocking a bridge into America, police in Windsor, Ontario, succeeded in removing them, making several arrests. Demonstrators have occupied a number of Canadian cities, agitating against Canada's COVID-19 testing and quarantine policies. Meanwhile, police in New Zealand attempted to disperse a copycat protest by playing over and over the hits of Barry Manilow and other uncongenial music. The Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl, narrowly beating the Cincinnati Bengals. The game was held in the Rams' home stadium, which was opened last year and cost $5 billion to build. The rapper Eminem, quote, took a knee during the halftime show in a jab against the NFL which has banned its players from performing the protest against racism. And fact of the day. Zero. The number of teams with black owners in the National Football League, in which 70% of the players are black. And now, here's today's agenda. Olaf Scholz visits Ukraine and Russia. Olaf Scholz, Germany's new Chancellor, 
has come under fire for his perceived passivity in the face of Russia's military buildup on Ukraine's borders. So now he's on a diplomatic offensive. Last week, he visited Joe Biden to allay American concerns. On Monday, he will meet President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kiev. One day later, he makes his first visit as Chancellor to the Kremlin. Mr. Schultz consulted widely ahead of his meeting with Vladimir Putin, reportedly even discussing tactics with Angela Merkel, his predecessor. A succession of Western visits to Moscow has failed to reduce tensions, and that was before America warned that Russia could launch an offensive as soon as Wednesday. Germany is one of many countries now urging its citizens to leave Ukraine. With the drums of war beating ever louder, its allies will hope that the reticent Chancellor may prove more successful at divining Mr Putin's intentions. The IPCC discusses climate science. On Monday, climate scientists and representatives from the world's governments will gather virtually for a two-week conference. Their task is to approve, line by line, the quote, summary for policymakers of the latest section of the sixth report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a UN-backed body that collates scientific opinion. The IPCC went through the same process last summer before publishing the first section, the world's most comprehensive assessment of the physical science behind climate change. This tranche focuses on the effects of a warming world, the vulnerabilities of human and ecological systems, and the potential for adaptation. The result is unlikely to be a cheerful read. Each round of reports has delivered starker warnings than the last. But there will be hope too. This report should show that humanity has ever more potential solutions, if only the political will can be found to implement them. Goldman Sachs airs its dirty laundry in court. Roger Ang, a former banker at Goldman Sachs, accused of helping to embezzle hundreds of millions of dollars from a Malaysian sovereign wealth fund, goes on trial on Monday in New York. Between 2009 and 2014, about $4.5 billion disappeared from one MDB, according to American authorities. In the fallout, Najib Razak was ousted as Malaysia's Prime Minister. Convicted in 2020 of multiple counts of money laundering and abuse of power, he is appealing against the verdict and free on bail. The American government alleges that Mr. Ang and others at Goldman Sachs, which underwrote $6.5 billion worth of 1MDB bonds, engaged in bribery. The case will illuminate the bank's response to internal warnings of corruption. David Solomon, Goldman Sachs' chief executive, claims that compliance processes were robust. Yet he also admits, quote, institutional failures. In 2020, the bank agreed to pay $2.9 billion in penalties. Mr. Ang, who maintains his innocence, is likely to seize on such admissions of guilt. India's love-hate relationship with alcohol Last month, the government of Maharashtra, a state in western India, announced that larger grocery stores will be allowed to sell wine. 
Officials reasoned that would help boost farmers' and wineries' incomes. The contribution to the state coffers no doubt helped sway them. Anna Hazari, a temperance-minded Gandhian populist, had been due to begin an indefinite hunger strike on Monday, although he later relented. India's dour stance towards booze is enshrined in the constitution, which commits the state to pursuing prohibition except for, quote, medicinal purposes. Although some Indians agree with Mr. Hazari, many find alcohol bans tiresome. Watering holes have always found ways to keep their clients' beaks wet. When India's Supreme Court ordered that spirits could not be sold within 500 metres of a highway, one bar in the southern state of Kerala built a concrete maze to increase the distance from its front door to the highway. Such ingenuity is to be toasted. Art in the Deserts of Saudi Arabia It's hardly your average gallery. Artworks lie between stacks of spice-coloured rock surrounded by the desert. Nearby are the 2,000-year-old Nabataean tombs of Hegra, a World Heritage Site. Desert Exalula, a free exhibition featuring 15 local and international artists, is one of myriad cultural events taking place in Saudi Arabia, now an emerging destination for the arts. The government aims to lure 2 million annual visitors to the small town of Alula by 2035. It is easy to be seduced by Saudi Arabia's flourishing creativity, landscape and talented artists, but hard to forget its authoritarian regime. Can art be truly critical when it is sponsored by a state that squashes freedom of expression, denies women's rights and allegedly murders journalists? Yet French firms will help develop Alula. And just last week, Nadine Dorries, Britain's culture secretary, inked an agreement to strengthen cultural links with the kingdom. Evidently, not all are so concerned about the kingdom's misdeeds. Daily Quiz With spring around the corner, our winter quiz is shedding its coat and becoming permanent. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge will be to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which is the most common element by mass on Earth? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Max Horkheimer, who was born on this day in 1895. Our task is continually to struggle, lest mankind become completely disheartened by the frightful happenings of the present. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.